As I begin, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and thank you for your presence with us, that you are indeed Emmanuel, God with us. We ask now for your word to rule over us, your spirit to teach us, and that you being known and glorified would be our first and our only concern. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he shall be called Mighty God, meaning Champion God. It's a very particular word, champion. It brings us back to one of the most well-known and beloved stories in the Bible of David and Goliath. The story opens with the drawing of battle lines. The Philistines are at war with the Israelites. One army is arranged on one side of the valley, the other army on the other, neither attacking, neither willing to give up the higher ground. On the one side are the Philistines, an advanced culture, one of the first to develop the use of iron to make weaponry, and they have attacked the hill people, the Israelites, who only the king Saul and his son Jonathan would have anything resembling a weapon. They're outmatched, outgunned, waking up each morning to the glint of sun off bronze-clad warriors, reminding them that their pitchforks will have little to no effect. The Philistines seek to break the deadlock, assure the victory, limit their casualties. And so they send out their champion, a man named Goliath, a giant of a man who is some three feet above the heads of every other warrior, bearing the latest in weaponry and armor. Each day for 40 days, he goes down to the valley floor and bellows his challenge. I defy you, Israel. Send out a champion for yourselves. And if he beats me, we will become your slaves. But if I beat him, you will become ours. No one will pick up the challenge until a young shepherd boy, David, there only to bring food to his older brothers, hears the challenge and picks it up out of trust in his God. He goes down into the valley and selects five small stones from a riverbed. And placing one of those stones in a sling, he ends the battle with one clear, well-placed stone to the head. Strength is defeated in weakness. And his champion David represents his people. And so his victory is their victory. His success, their success. His future, their future. They reap the benefits of everything that he's done for them. Freedom, peace, justice. David later later becomes king in Israel. And David is given the promise that a king like him, a king of his lineage will one day rule upon the throne over an eternal kingdom of peace, righteousness, and justice. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he shall be called Mighty God, Champion God. 
you might think, well, I mean, what does this have to do with Christmas? Well, the Christmas story opens much like the story of David and Goliath with the drawing of battle lines. Really? Well, where? Well, Luke opens the story of Christmas. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And everyone went to their hometown to register. Now, we as modern readers hear that as simply setting the scene. Here's the time. Here's the place. But for the original readers, these are not details to set the story in time and place. These are details that would stir up deep-seated anger. Memories of, of grievous wrongdoing awakening in them a yearning for justice, freedom, peace. Caesar Augustus, self-declared divine son of God, issues a census. Rome is exerting control over conquered provinces. Registration meant severe taxation, imposed enlisting of subjects, possible conscription in the army. A census in many ways amounted to enslavement, and it would often stir up revolts which Rome would quickly and ruthlessly crush. Then, Luke goes on to introduce the divine Son of God, King of the line of David, Jesus. And in that, we are immediately drawn into one of the major threads of the biblical story, that God in love stands opposed to kingdoms of injustice, oppression, idolatry. As God stood with his people in the face of the Egyptians, the Amalekites, the Philistines, the Assyrians, He now stands with his people in the face of the oppression and injustice of Rome. Luke's opening of the story of Christmas is drawing those battle lines. He's in a way announcing the title fight. In the blue corner, weighing in with all the imperial forces of Rome, divine son of God, ruler of the known world, Caesar Augustus. In the red corner, wrapped in swaddling clothes, the promised Messiah, descendant of David, divine son of God, weighing in at seven pounds, four ounces, unable to move his head or feed himself, Jesus. The battle lines are drawn. Who will win? How will the battle be won? Jesus brings a fight to all that tyrannizes his creation. He brings a fight to the power of sin, death, and justice. But by the end of his life, it appears that he has fought that battle and been defeated. It culminates as the Jewish authorities conspire with the Romans to condemn an innocent man. They hold a night trial. Under the cloak of secrecy and darkness, they coach witnesses. They hand them over to the Romans, and soldiers mock, beat, whip. He faces the most brutal death, imaginable death on a cross that even the Romans eventually outlawed. Sin, justice, oppression has won. The fight has been lost, our champion defeated. Or has he? The scriptures tell us that what appears as defeat is actually victory. That the cross was the triumph over the powers and principalities by putting them to open shame. 
that in the face of oppression, injustice, and violence, Jesus responds with love. He responds with forgiveness. His dying breath is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As our champion, Jesus fights for us, not just at the risk of his life, but at the cost of his life. He doesn't win the victory by bringing his enemies to death, but by dying for the sake of his enemies. And by rising again, he declares that the kingdom of sin, death, and justice will not have the last word. His kingdom of grace, love, forgiveness, peace, justice, righteousness, his kingdom, that kingdom, will have the last word. And so Christmas invites us to ask, is he your champion? Does he represent you? Have you grabbed a hold of him by faith such that his victory is your victory, his future, your future? But Christmas also invites us to ask, are you right now looking to your champion? And the author of Hebrews is writing to a community that is facing sorrow, loss, difficulty, pain, oppression, And he invites them to run with endurance the race that is set before them, to press through the grievous circumstances of their time as a gospel people, a kingdom people. And how does he anticipate they would do such a thing? He invites them to look to Jesus, the author, the champion of their faith, the one who has won the victory, and who will come again to bring that victory to its fulfillment, to bring about a kingdom where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more injustice, no more sin, no more death, no more disease, but peace, justice, righteousness for eternity. Is he your champion? Is his victory your victory? And are you looking right now in the grievous circumstances of our time to your champion? For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And he shall be called Mighty God, our champion. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.